Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me, Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening. For you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Good evening. Good evening and welcome to Our Common Ground. Janice Graham, host. My name is Alpha. I'll be co-hosting this evening's events, this evening's broadcast events. <laughs> Let me see here. We have a very... Uh, I would say eye-opening broadcast this evening. We are going to be speaking about the, of course, the presidential debate and all of the backlash, the ups and downs, the ins and outs of the presidential debate. But we will also speak about the um, new session of the Supreme Court of the United States. They will have very interesting cases before them, and one it will be affirmative action. Uh, here's their opportunity. Here's their opportunity to really, I think, um, this is their opportunity to really set off uh, a backlash. Because if they rule out affirmative action, they're giving the wink and the nod. They're giving the green light for racial disparity to continue to grow even larger. And it should be a new movement for equal opportunity. And I would hope that the so-called leaders of, of our community have not waited until they strike down affirmative action before they've mobilized to 
confronted, to push back just on the very notion of destroying affirmative action. I would hope that we haven't pimped past our stop, if you will. I would hope that somehow we can, we've not missed the boat when it comes to playing the long game, because that's what this should have been, the long game. You knew it was coming. You knew the case was on its way, and yet we will be, responding, reacting where we should have been progressive all along. If we cannot get better in our messaging and in playing the long game, what are we doing and why are we here? And out of all of these black leaders, What are they leading? Or what is it leading to? Hopefully we'll cover this ground here on our common ground. Joining me will be Janice Graham. Uh, She's having a little conflict with um, her logistics. Janice, are you there? I am here, Alpha. Good evening, and good evening to everyone. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing better. Let me put it like this: I'm doing better. Frustration is not gone down yet because um, I know it's, it just the, the the debate was Wednesday. The ad should have been up at no later than Friday. I've seen so many. Um, caricatures of Mitt Romney and the the ad not ads but the uh video of Mitt debating Mitt where he was talking at the debate and he was you know, clips of him saying just the opposite. And this man is just a flip flopper. If not a if not a bald faced liar, he's the he's the biggest flip flopper weather vane you ever want to come across and this is the man who wants to be commander in chief leader of the free world and can you trust him he says i love america but where does he keep his money he says i love america but he avoids taxes and hides behind the legality of the slanted tax loopholes that have been created by the one percent so I'm just, you know, casually strolling down this street of what the hell are they waiting on? And did he really say that boulevard? Well, uh, first let me um, welcome everyone uh, to our common ground. And thank you, Alpho, for joining me tonight. As you know, it is um, a very important and significant event when 50 million people gather to listen to two people talk about what used to be the most powerful nation in the world. And 
uh, despite what Will uh, has to say on Newsroom, I think there are many reasons why America is no longer the greatest country on the earth. But I divest. No, I don't divest, not from America. Um, <laughs> I, I digress. <laughs> from the topic You know There's been an awful lot of discussion Alpha about this debate And one of the things That we have not And people are talking about President Obama's uh, And, and I, I really Want to Chastise uh, Black people about this whole notion of a man who is a descendant of the motherland, who has a base of sharing of our ancestors, and has become the president of the United States of America, even in its history in regard to in the context of his history, and gets on national TV and continues to call the President of the United States Obama. And that was a young woman that was, young civil rights attorney that was on uh, Melissa Harris Perry's show this morning. She continued, I can't remember her name, it was Nia Mia or something. So, you know, we, 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 we have joined in the chorus of the disaffection of the office of president by virtue of a man who can play basketball, who can play golf, who can swagger, who looks real good when he's exiting uh, the presidential limousine in full suit and sunglasses. I mean, it's all that. But we have to be really, really careful, Alpha, about what we do it. But uh, this whole discussion about his performance, I think, is is worth continuing to churn because I think we were all disarmed by it. Uh, Not only were we disarmed by it, but there was something, and Dr. Matthew Johnson brought it up in his program on TruthWorks Network last Wednesday night uh, about our expectations and about our hope to be a courageous people. So um, his performance came at us in a number of ways. And I heard you talking about it last night, and I heard you talking about it on Wednesday night, right following it. And I think that all of us were a bit dismayed uh, by what occurred there. But one of the things that occurred there that we haven't done a very lot, much, have a lot of discussion about is the format. Alpha, what do you think of the format? Oh, Dennis. Oh, you're doing the same thing that Ricardo does to me when I'm on the air with him. Well, Janice, oh, Lord, just drop it. 
Okay, go ahead. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Alpha. Let me put it like this. The format, I'm not concerned or moved by whatever format they are they have agreed to. I am more moved and concerned about this timid hat in hand. Um, I'm not going to appear. You know, we say we say they won't call him President Obama, and nor will he stand up and fight. We may as well be calling him President Jackie Robinson Obama, because he has placed himself and chosen to be a passive. Uh, I'm going to be the even kilter guy, and I'm not gonna, and I'm going to allow them to do this. I'm going to allow the disrespect to reach this proportion. And that's what's happening. And we wonder why uh, the disrespect has reached the level that it's reached. We all know why. But when you won't stand up for yourself, there's got to be a problem there. There will be. No, we can't stand up for it. We can show outrage. We can... You know, go down all of the avenues. Just like this one black man isn't going to save the African-American community. During his presidency, he has tapped $42 billion to help poor people, including African-Americans. $42 billion. And yet you still have black folks running around talking about you got to hold him accountable. You got to hold his feet to the fire. Why did Obama do this? Why did Obama do that? You got still got venues like Black Agenda Report who will never be appeased or satisfied with anything this man does. I'm a Barack Obama president, Barack Obama supporter, and I'll continue to be. But I won't. You know, I won't stop hitting him over the head with stand up for yourself. Stand up and fight for yourself. And, you know, out of all of the criticism that he gets from the left, as we call it, you saw the, the just the outcry, the outrage from the left. Chris Matthews almost stroked off the stage. Ed Schultz turned pink. And the one who had the most level head of all of the panelists there at MSNBC was Reverend Sharpton. And he had the most level-headed approach to it because you can't not, you can't be dismissive of the lies that this man was telling. Or the position shifts. When he says, I know I'm not going to have a $5 trillion deficit, but everybody else in the real world says you are. They are playing the American people, and this president isn't calling them out on it. With 58 million people watching, you are not going to get that audience on the campaign trail. 
but I understand. I understand that he couldn't spend his time uh, knocking down lie after lie after lie. He couldn't get into a back and forth, yes, you are, no, I'm not, yes, you are, no, I'm not. You're cutting five, you're going to drop a blow a five trillion hole in the debt that you all so decry and give two trillion more to defense that's not even asking for it. But yet you want to cut what? You want to cut every safety net for the so-called 47%. He allowed the term government trickle-down to take hold because now everywhere he goes, they all repeat it. That's what they say. They have, they have essentially eviscerated and erased trickle-down economics, and now they've turned it into government trickle-down. Government trickle-down, and here is the correct response. When he says government trickle-down, the only thing the president had to say is, you're right. Government trickle-down goes to the 47% that you don't care about, to the veterans, to the people on Medicare, to the people who take Social Security, to Medicaid. That's government trickle-down to those who are in need. Go ahead. Well, you know, I I think that of the 60-some million uh, people who watched and witnessed what, as Bob Hebert said in the New York Times in his piece in the New York Times about the debate, that what we witnessed was the chronic unwillingness of this president to fight. Now, one of the reasons that I invite ask you to join me tonight is because you have been saying that for almost three years. You said that throughout the campaign, and you said it throughout the uh, this presidency, uh, Obama presidency. And, and, you know, he, I mean, one of the, the, the really hard truth about this president, as you have pointed out, over and over, uh, is that he seemed unprepared, um, and he came off as someone who really didn't want to be there. And, I mean, I was sitting there, and I mentioned this to you, and I mentioned it on the air with Dr. Johnson, that I was thinking that maybe in the background he had just left a meeting, and we were about to bomb Iran or something, and that's what was weighing so heavily on him that he was so lethargic and and had this depressive body language going on. But then I remembered at the beginning that uh, that he came in very spry. Um, you know, he seemed to um, be okay at the beginning. And then it was like all the energy and all the breath really came after him. And, I mean, he he didn't even go after Mitt Romney for, and, and I think this is where our disappointment comes, that all the ugly, revealing comments, demeaning Nearly half the population of this country is slackers and lazy people. 
He didn't even go after him on his terrible record in Massachusetts as a job creator. He didn't go after him about his really callous contention on 60 Minute that people who don't have health insurance actually do get care, and they, if they have a heart attack, they, they don't sit in their apartment and die. They pick up the phone and call the ambulance, and the ambulance takes them to the hospital, and they get care. I mean, he never bothered to even defend us, and I think that that is where people are so very disappointed in his behavior. But as I always do, I like to, you know, I was thinking um, during the televised debate what it would have been like, uh, you know, in the days where people uh, gathered around the radio and listened to what was being said rather than to what it looked like. So I turned to the transcript uh, the next day to look at what was really said. But you're absolutely right. It gets back to that many of the people, including most of the people who are listening to this broadcast tonight, I know you, I know me, had this sense that there was going to be hope and there was going to be courage. And finally, the issues of uh, a voice, of reason, about the socioeconomic realities in this country. And it's really not about race, because we had already learned a lesson by the time he became president about who this president was as an African-American man, that he was never going to step up to the issue of race. He was going to be an apologist, and his all of his talking about bipartisanship based on the history of what had happened uh, in the during the campaign, as well as, because see, a lot of this vitriolic stuff, and I'm sure you're aware of it, a lot of this vitriolic stuff did not come after he became president. It started when he uh, was campaigning. So uh, I think that's where we can conclude that this president let his people down and that he dismissed us in a way uh, if he's capable of doing that at such an important times, it means he's capable of performing in the same way during a second term. And how could he have risked that message coming across? I mean, even if you look at the transcript, examine the transcript, he really didn't say much of nothing. I mean, if you look on one one side of the legend and there's the lie after lie after lie without challenge. And I, I do understand at some point he had to decide, do I just stand here and challenge this man for the next two hours or do I do something differently? 
do I just let him do whatever? Why don't we open up our lines at 347-838-9852. We're inviting you to call in and talk with my co-host tonight, Alpha of the Alpha Show, to get your sense in this first hour about what happened to this president and what does it mean. Well, it's Alpha, I don't know, what's your take? And you talked a little about it on your program last night, but what's your take? on what it's going to mean in the next 30 days. I don't see it moving I don't see it moving the needle for people who support him or fair-minded independents and moderates. You see when you have a person his opponent and he has gone around the country for the last year to 18 months saying one thing now he's saying something quite different. And the fact checkers have, boy, he, his own campaign debunked his uh, pre existing conditions in his plan because he doesn't have it. If you've had continuous coverage, then you will continue to get pre existing conditions, of which some 33, 43 million people have been severed from continuous coverage. So you can you can look at it in in a in a in a lot of ways. And when you have a person who is saying, I'm he's gone around the country saying, I'm gonna give a twenty percent cut across the board to middle class families, to everyone. And then he quarrels with the math that it adds up to five trillion dollars. And he wants to give two trillion to defense that don't that's not even asking for it. But yet they're so concerned about the debt. It it makes me ponder, it makes me wonder just who could be supporting this man and if they are simply in a in that truth bubble where they don't care what or who it is that the hatred for Obama President Obama is just so great. And why the, the hatred is so great when he brought the stock market back. It's at its highest that it's been in history. He brought the, the country back. And it is under 7.8, but then after they find out it is 7.8, then they want to throw out this conspiracy theory. Oh, he's fudging the numbers. They didn't, they didn't cry and whine when it remained over 8% for 41 months as they propagate. But then you have the same, these are the same people, and he's convinced supporters to ignore their common sense. Their common sense, and to vote against their own interests. He's talking about People from 55 and up won't be touched by the new program, which is a lie. Because if he gets rid of the Affordable Care Act, as they call it, Obamacare, he will get rid of the donut hole prescription statements that have come from the $716 billion 
cut from the providers in the hospitals. The people who are on the program now will pay six, on average, of six hundred dollars a year more, and you will also pay the copay for the preventive care, which is free now. But these people who are Obama haters against Obama, they are willing to accept the, just the outright lie that he that we're going to put it back into the program, which simply says that under the Romney-Ryan plan, they're going to take the $716 billion and give it back to the providers and the hospitals. That was overpayment. And then they're going to scream about Medicare. They're going to cut the eight years that have been added to Medicare. They're going to cut that off. But it's not going to affect the people over 55. It's just it's madness. And it can only be explained with the Obama hate syndrome. Well, I mean, but he made a number. Let's go back to the kind of mistakes that that he made here. Uh, he has been heavily criticized for his statement. And, by the way, I do want to mention, and some of you may not want to agree with me, and you can call us and, and talk about this matter at 347-838-9852. Um, but, I mean, he made a lot of mistakes. But he's been heavily criticized by his statement. And I was want to preface this by saying he has made a lot of stupid statements during this campaign, statements for which he is smart enough to understand the import of the statement. And I'll give you a good example of what he did in this in in this debate, uh, Alpha. He started talking about ExxonMobil. Uh, and the statement that he made was that um that the oil industry gets four billion dollars he was trying to make the, the the point that the oil industry gets four billion dollars a year in corporate welfare and they get the same deductions that small businesses receive. But then he went on to say that Nobody would think that ExxonMobil needs more extra money. You see, those are the kinds of, you can't stand as a president of the United States and criticize an American company for making as much money as they want to, as they can make. I mean, there was a way to make these points without, all he had to say that it, it, in the oil in the oil industry that gets $4 billion a year in tax breaks, that we need to eliminate tax breaks for corporate jets, and we need to eliminate tax breaks for whatever it is. And when it comes to corporate taxes, what what Mitt Romney wants to do. But, I mean, but he makes silly mistakes. And he made a lot of silly mistakes when he did not make, when he did not bring bring the points and the issues that the forty seven percent, 
when he didn't bring that, when he didn't talk about the ambulance and people using emergency rooms, when he didn't talk about the ravaging effects that uh, health insurance companies have had on the delivery of health services to American people and choking off our ability to keep people safe in Medicaid and in um, in the normal health insurance coverage um, process. He didn't talk about any of those things. Well, Janice, there's quite a bit How of can things. a president of the United States running for president show up for the first debate where everybody is going to watch because there's been so much ammunition thrown by each of the camps and Romney is has gone off the rails and he shows up unprepared and offers this embarrassingly health half-hearted performance. I I I don't understand it. And maybe somebody out there can call us and try to explain it to us. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. You're listening to our common ground. Um, Alpha of the Alpha Show is co-hosting with me. Explain it to me. Well, Janice, what you seem to what I seem to what Alpha not what understand. What you seem to take a lot of what you seem to take a lot of uh, interest in is the mere fact that. He didn't just not bring those issues up. The 47%, of course, he didn't bring it up. He didn't just bring And you see what Mitt Romney did? He was prepared to talk that he's for 100% at the debate. He was prepared to say, well, I'm for 100%. Well, but, you know. But uh, he did, uh, uh, the next day he came out and apologized and reversed himself 18 days later. Yes, but Alpha, this is why I have a problem with the, the, the format. Are you telling me that a country that's been on the brink of 10% unemployment for over four years has had a major collapse of its banking, financial, and securities industry has spent the kind of money to shore up whatever major industries we have left and manufacturers like GM and the, the, the auto industry in this country, that its president doesn't have a lot of questions for a man whose campaign has been as narrow as to be centered in <clears throat> moving the clock back, excuse me, going back to the same Bush administration policies that brought us to this place. And, and, and you know, and, and at some point, I don't even want to talk about what Mitt Romney said because every time Mitt Romney opens his mouth, he is lying. 
or they call it changing his position, moving to the center. And this is what people somehow miss. This is what people somehow miss. You don't move to the center. You basically, what, you faked out your base, and now you're trying to go for the moderates? You can say that's politics. I see it as being willfully disingenuous, willfully dishonest. He has been dishonest for six years. You know, let's let's talk about the center, the core of what Mitt Romney had to say. And you had a president who never challenged it. He talked about, and I'm looking at the transcript, he talked about states' rights for six times on major statements that he made. Now... This president knows what the history of this country is, and the whole concept of states' rights is to maintain, has been to maintain control over power centers within the state. Keep black people from voting. Keep black people from having rights regarding employment, to keep black people from having the rights of citizen, the full rights of citizenship, and you know, and that may that that may be something foreign to people who live in Chicago, or foreign to people who live in San Francisco, or foreign to people who live in New York. But it is not foreign to people who live in Biloxi, who live in the outskirts of New Orleans, in in some of those parishes. It is not foreign to the West Coast and the central parts of Florida and some parts of South Florida or Georgia or North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, Virginia. I mean, that, Tennessee. But you had a president who didn't say, excuse me, Mr. Romney, are you touting the return to this country of states' rights on the services and the rights of citizenship in this country. Let me tell you why that didn't work. I mean, that's what a debate is about. You make a statement. You affirm it. You provide examples of information and summaries and the other person challenges that with other information, and it never happened in this debate. And that's why I say it was a debate uh, that wasn't. We've got some callers, um, Alpha. You want to start taking some calls? Sure. 314, you're on the air. Thank you for your call. Yeah, how are you tonight? Good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I had mentioned in the chat room, I agree with states' rights on certain issues, especially marriage and also uh, voters' registration, which they do. You know, states have more power than federal government. That's, let's just uh, admit to that. Uh, Obama's opinion on 
same-sex marriage really was nothing other than an opinion. It doesn't have any, well, it does in some aspect, but it really doesn't have any sway over state constitutions. Only the Supreme Court can finally say if that's yay or nay. But getting back to, uh, let's talk about the ins- the insurance, which this mandated insurance I'm totally against. And I hear people say, well, states mandate that you get Car insurance really not saying you have to have car insurance. They say you have to show financial responsibility. But here's the point with insurance: if you got a good driver's record, your insurance policy is going to be cheaper than the run-of-the-mill customer. And I think the same thing should apply with insurance too. Why should your health insurance all of a sudden be based on a pool? I think it. You know, some people never get sick. So should they have to pay as much as a person who go out and do uh, indulge in practices and, and habits that uh, cause them to become, you know, physically unhealthy and more yeah, prone yeah. to the illness? Yes, yes, yes. And let me and let me let me couch it like this. I don't want my tax dollars going for war. I don't want my tax dollars going to the military industrial complex who has a record of a $563 billion in fines for defrauding the government. See, this isn't about what you need or what you want for your tax dollars. We are all, if we're all in this together, we're all in this together, plain and simple. You well, that's not true. We all we all not in, into the same thing to the same degree. And that's not true because if that was the case, you wouldn't have the 1% and the 99 percenters. Your now, tax I'm, dollars I don't think go that, for military. Pardon me. Your tax dollars don't go for military, and for and to go to these wars. You're telling me your tax dollars don't go to provide the roads, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have children well, in my no, school. Well, no, your tax dollars don't go. Your tax dollars, gasoline taxes. Your, your money. If you buy gasoline, gasoline that tax goes towards the road. Nut. It doesn't cover the entire thing. Well, sure it does. Your income tax doesn't go to, to uh, building roads. Why would you in Missouri pay income tax that goes toward roads being built in the state of Washington? So that those roads are being paid for by those gasoline taxes. And that's the way it's broken down uh, here at least, and you can see it. But I'm saying that uh, uh, insurance should be covered, for instance, like under Medicare. It would be more equally distributed because everyone pays Medicare taxes, whether it's the person that works in the Burger King, or whether it's a major league baseball player. And I say that if the health system was based, was covered under Medicare, and we know that Medicare doesn't pay for everything and it's not the best in the world, but if you want more than that, then you pick up the tab yourself. That's what I'm saying. And I still get back to the point that those who indulge in those habits that uh, place their self at risk to diseases and other uh, calamities, then they should pay more. The same thing it is with your automobile insurance. If you have many accidents on your record, your premium is going to be higher. Why should the person who have a good driver's record pay a higher premium just because of your your carelessness? Well, one of the one of the reasons is is because the insurance schematic would not work unless most subscribers were paying for both existing and projected health care. Hello? 
I'm hearing a screech. Is that you, 314? No. Okay. No, it wasn't me. I wasn't 314. So the the equation uh, that creates um, health insurance um, policies looks at both projected as well as existing um, behaviors, projected as well as existing, which is why, uh, and, and, and driving um, car insurance companies do the same thing. It's called risk analysis, which is also why people who um, have children who drive cars have to pay a higher premium because of the risk analysis. So uh, in that analysis, the cost, the projection is calculated in the cost. But but let me let's let's go back to what you are suggesting. Uh I think that if we go back if if we do not have universal health care in this country, insurance companies eventually will lobby and will get a graduated kind of premium chart. But for most people the only way in which health insurance coverage is um, affordable is when you are in a pool, which is why the larger employers can provide better insurance coverage for their employees than the smaller ones. You get well, you I'm know, I think that uh, people, you know, I was... Uh, and I was involved in, in commercial construction with, with pipe fitters, iron workers, and so forth and so on. Iron workers pay about $400 a week toward their health and welfare, and about another four, $450 a week toward their pension and, you know, money for the annuity. Now, Obama's plan is, is talking about taxing their health and welfare, their their medical plan, because it's, uh, it, it considered as being a Cadillac plan. And, and, and get it, too, they pay for their own. In other words, they defer putting money on the check and want that money to go toward this particular item we call health and welfare, which is the insurance, medical, uh, optical, and dental, and so on and so on. So when you say that employees, it's not the employees that's paying this insurance. That, that, that money is being passed on to the consumer who's going to be consuming whatever it is that that employee is manufacturing or producing. It still goes back to the public. If it was Medicare, Medicare tax now is what, 1.45%, uh, with this surtax that Obama has came along with his uh, plan, it's going to go up to like uh, 2.35%. I'm saying that you should have, to cover this universal health care, let everyone be entitled to Medicare, whether they're unborn or they're the oldest elderly citizen. Then, if it's something that Medicare does not carry, cover that is just like it is now with the Plan A, Plan B, and so on, and so on. Then let the person go out and buy supplementary insurance that would take care of that which Medicare does not take care of. It would have been a whole lot easier than what we're talking about now, because all I see now is that the government is taking in more taxes that they're going to use to either try to pay down the debt or try to use it for other 
other things, like the gentleman has said before, i.e. the military, whose budget, by the way, is about $677 billion, down from $707 billion about, you know, about several months ago. Well, you see, if we don't, if we have a plan, which, and, and you're talking about a plan that calculates for uh, people's income, you're still living, leaving the poor behind. Well, you're not leaving the poor behind. If you, the poor, the poor today pays toward Medicare. Whenever, the, when that person that works at a uh, fast food restaurant, by the way, which is considered a manufacturing job, them putting hamburgers together, they have Medicare wages taken, uh, taxes taken out of their FICA portion of their uh, wage tax. And as I said before, uh, Pujols pays Medicare toward the Medicare trust fund also. And it's more evenly spread across the board, I think. And, uh, you know, we won't sell this in this short tonight. discussion that yeah. we have. Not tonight. <laughs> but, but, I mean, just think about that. People may be, look at Medicaid. Medicaid is... Well, is, I is agree with you. Something. I agree that people who smoke, for instance, should have a higher premium. Yes, they should. Now, I, either, I, I agree with you that people who have eating habits that cause them to be severely obese should have a higher premium. I mean, and those who are obese should have a higher premium, and then it would give them an incentive to do the things necessary. Absolutely, and yeah, to, to stop them. smoking. Right. Hey, three one four. Thank you for being with us tonight. We're going to take a break. We okay. um, we we certainly thank you for your your thoughts, Alpha. I think we're headed that way. What about you? I think we're headed in which way? <laughs> we're going to have graduated, uh, some kind now of let, graduated you know, scheme on health insurance coverage. What? This whole idea of insurance companies, what do they produce? They are nothing more but the middlemen. They are nothing more but the pimps of the industry. They do nothing but take off the top tax dollars from the top. They exist on government trickle down. Absolutely. But one and of when the you things get, when you when you get people who who want to raise uh, UD whatever it is under your skin, those are those types of heuristic arguments that people make because they simply have lost their way with an argument. When they want to talk about uh, well. The people who take care of themselves shouldn't have to pay as much. Well, what about the people who take care of themselves and get involved in some type of horrific accident? Or it comes to find out that they have cancer, and if they've skirted the the uh, the if they've skirted paying the share that everyone else is paying, now you what do you do? Cut them off because they haven't paid as much? When you get right down to it, this is the same kind of argument of the star of the beast crowd. This is the same kind of argument of people who have a pathological hatred for their government. They are not open to new ideas. They are not responding to logic. They're in the bubble. These are the same kind of climate deniers. That, oh, the earth is, oh, it's going to pan up. 
We've been getting warmer for the last 300 and something months, but these people simply can't bring their head around to the fact that this isn't a let's pay as we go. If there isn't a pool, none, no one wins. And these are the types of people who you, I mean, I can take them, I can listen to them, but I can't take them seriously. <laughs> because their entire, their entire ideology pans in the face of we're all in this together. It's that Ayn Rand philosophy that they seek to, well, we should, I shouldn't have to pay this because the man across the street is doing this, that, and the other. If you are in it together, if you pay property taxes in your municipality, you don't get to say where those property taxes are distributed. You sit back on, well, we can't have redistribution of someone's wealth. Well, then let's get rid of those tax loopholes. Pay your fair share. But this notion that somehow someone is redistributing the wealth, it's just bovine. <laughs> You're listening to Our Common Ground. Alpha is with me tonight here at Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. We're talking about the presidential debate that occurred on last Wednesday, looking at the president's performance and what it might mean, why it happened, and there's not much more we can say about uh, the Mittens' performance. Except for Alpha, I do have to say, he couched his script of lies. He delivered them very well. I'm Janice Graham. We'll be right back. This is our common ground. The bottom line is that our president-elect has inherited a system that represents the most oppressive system in terms of justice in the world. And there is a difference between justice and charity. There is a difference between service and advocacy. And we are at a point where we've got to look in the mirror. As John Henry Clark said, when we wake up in the morning, we've got to look in the mirror and decide whose side are we going to be on. Amen. Are we going to be advocates for trickle-down economic prosperity, or are we going to be advocates for our people. Brave, bold, black. Recognize the part that racism plays in that? Or, or, 
or we aren't. And if we aren't going to recognize it for them, then we're not going to make any excuses about policy failures in the White House either. If it ain't no excuses for them, it ain't no excuses for him. If they can, if they can face the hell that they're catching and still be expected to succeed, then damn it, we expect to get a public option. And we expect to see some social justice. And we expect to be some, see something done about the plight of the poor. Don't give me that the economy is too bad. You know why? Because we got no excuses. Because we just a zero-sum game. We believe. Only on TruthWorks Network. Your Wednesdays just got better. Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. Wednesdays, 10 p.m., where spirit matters. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Thank you for being with us here on this Saturday night 
Open mic at three four seven. I lost my board. Uh, and I think I lost Alpho. Alpho, are you there? Alpho, are you there? Alpho? Yes, I'm here. Okay, we lost you for a minute. I got locked oh, out of the board. Don't uh, ask. Okay. It says that I'm not connected. Uh, I'm not connected. Did you look at <laughs> Are we having audio problems in the chat room? <laughs> no, I Look who's so. here, Alpha. Look who's here. It's old Henry. <laughs> Right out of ATL. Good to hear you. We've got a full uh, house tonight, and we're asking people to join us and trying to figure out what happened uh, on Wednesday night at the debate. And let's go to our phones, Alpha, at 208. You've been holding, and thank you for holding and spending the time with us tonight and reaching out to us. What's on your mind? Oh, hello. My name is Swahudin. I. Uh... I was listening. Um, great topic, uh, particularly about affirmative action and uh, what it means in our society and uh, the assumptions of how relevant it's been to us, particularly as, us as a demographic of black people. I think most of us are aware by now that the primary beneficiaries of uh, uh, affirmative action were, were white women. I mean, it was a bait and switch. that was after the Civil Rights Movement that white women were designated as an oppressed minority, which is an absurd proposition considering they were part of the white community. And uh, <clears throat> now that there's been a, um, a hue and cry, and there has always been a hue and cry since Bakke versus Board of Education about uh, affirmative action. And affirmative action was always about, uh, wasn't necessarily about uh, equality of, 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 of outcome, it was about equality of opportunity, but you see, the system, the society actually reneged on that. Affirmative action was much more than quotas. In fact, it was Richard Nixon, a Republican and a conservative, who instituted quotas to alienate as part of the affirmative action initiative. So, um, Actually, yeah. it was Lyndon Johnson. No. Lyndon Johnson created, signed Executive 11246. No, no, you're not listening. I said that he instituted as a Nixon was a part of affirmative action. He, he began oh, to oh, okay. free. Yeah, I know uh, there was war, war mm-hmm. on poverty. No, I don't know. It was the war on poverty, of course, that he, that uh, you know, great society. Uh, I mean, the war on poverty by LBJ, of course. Yeah, but it was Richard Nixon that included, um, uh, uh, yeah, quotas to alienate, uh, to bring mm-hmm. uh, white people back to the Republican Party, and that's exactly what happened. And um, so yeah, I mean this this affirmative action initiative, um, which I know that in California they pretty much dissolved it. It's pretty much been dissolved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, it, it definitely yeah. has been. There is no enforcement of executive one one two four executive order one one two four six going on. And um, you're absolutely right that. Somewhere in the women's movement, women seized on the opportunity because quotas for women were not demonized in the way that quotas for 
African Americans and Hispanics were demonized or even Asian people were were demonized. And it became a numbers game rather than a game that that was really established. The law really redresses the absence of equal opportunity for protected groups. Exactly. And coming up on when, and it's really interesting, Colin, I don't know, Alpha, if you or any of our listeners have really noticed that all of the challenges on the concept of affirmative action have been around educational institutions, their populations, and their policies. There have been very few challenges in regard to the concept that have gone before the the federal courts uh, on employment. Anybody notice that? And, and yes, Paula, the other thing that I, I want to inform, yes. inform the discussion about is that it's really interesting that the Supreme Court is now going to see, um, look at these issues as we get into uh, the the country engages more in the civil protection, the civil rights protections of people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered. As we talk about this LGBT um, new community, um, (laughs) you know, I I don't want to to be ugly about it. I love the way you put that. No, but is that, is that so accurate? I mean, um, groups you know, that we were there. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. When they started talking about equal opportunity uh, and furthering yes, yes. and uh, and uh, actively, uh, affirmatively yes. furthering employment and educational opportunities for black people and Hispanic people, uh-huh. then – uh, the women's movement came along and said, yeah, we want some of that too. Yes. But then after the women came along and these devious uh, projections about what all this meant, then yes. the disabled and the handicapped people came along. Everyone. And now everyone. we got the lesbian, yes. gays, and the transgender yes. people, the LGBT. Uh, I, I cannot get that acronym right, uh, which which does not mean that I do not right. think that there are people who, groups of people, who do need a defense against discrimination in uh, and violations of their rights. I do and, not mean that. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, me going to the grocery store and somebody right. says, "Oh, today you can only buy apples," <laughs> and well, you have to come yeah. back on Wednesday for some grapes. And when I get and back to, yeah. to to the grocery store to buy the grapes on Wednesday, uh-huh. they're all dead and rotten. And, and isn't it isn't it rather simple to to evaluate which groups are truly being discriminated against and oppressed? There should be a triage, of course. Okay, example, black males, you uh-huh. know, the high incarceration rates, the high dropout rates. You know, those negative indices of quality of life, the misery quotient, would indicate that that is the group that perhaps, quite frankly, you know, I happen to be a black male, 
that needs the most in terms of assistance and redress relative to, uh, you know, how we're faring in the society. And, of course, it's macro level. You know, it's systemic, and we know that perhaps it has a lot sociologically to do with how we're perceived within this culture, right? So it has to be done on a, on a macro systemic level. But you have a group that, as you said, uh, a bait and switch happened. You know, these groups um, such as the feminists and, uh, you know, the, the white women's movement, which really the feminist movement is the white women's movement. And initially, they didn't want black women or any other group, so they were also an elitist group that simply wanted to uh, uh, redefine themselves within the within the white hierarchy. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, these groups uh, initiated a bait and switch with the fact, for example, you said the LB, you know, I, I always get that acronym. Uh, L G B-T. B-T. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah, let's <laughs> say the gays and lesbians. I mean, real simple. But yeah, I mean, here this new group also, and you do some studies. I mean, just just look it up. Their quality of life in terms of gays, gays and lesbians are about two to three times more likely to graduate from college than the average American. Their income is almost twice that of the average American. I mean, you can go to their websites and you'll see it's all so. Is this a group, except for issues such as um, issues such as whether you know that ask, don't ask, don't tell, which has been repealed, and now there's no longer an issue with them in, in the um, in the military being discriminated against, at least you know de jure and de facto, at least in terms of policy, you know, but uh, de jure. So uh, what what we actually have these groups, for example, white women who've never been really oppressed in a society, and I think it's a uh, Again, an incredible fallacy. There was a, a, a man who was a uh, Warren Farrell. Maybe you heard of him. He, he was the head of a male feminist, white male feminist, who was head of uh, uh, now nationalization for women. He wrote a book called The Myth of Male Power. In his book, and he was a, a feminist, and because of his experience uh, dealing and you know, being involved and in actually heading that organization for three years running, um, he became uh, a he uh, rejected feminism and became a, a masculinist. He said that it was immoral that, that the white women uh, chose, co-opted, and sought to to compare their suffering with that of black people. I mean, that that actually happened years ago when um, Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist movement, white women, the, their feminist movement, though, say pre-feminist movement back then, wrote him a letter and sought to compare and partner their movement with black people too. And, and uh, Frederick Douglass rejected them out of hand and said, you know, it's our time. You know, you have a... It's, it's not. There's no comparison to how we suffer. So you have this immoral movement yeah. to co-opt the civil rights, and it has been co-opted, and we have been relegated to the. And all these groups are really using. But we what participated we in our own co-opting. Demise. Yes, we did. Yes, we yes, did. Yes, we we we, we have we have not. Number one yeah. on the on on the list for me, and I don't know about the rest of you, and you can call in and join in the, <laughs> on this discussion with this. Very informed caller. Um, Very kind. <laughs> uh, somebody, Alpha, what is the telephone number here? 347-838-9852. Thank you. Because <laughs> I don't... I don't even know my own telephone number. I am very <laughs> discombobulated this week. Um, I am... Um, <laughs> I am a little bit as lethargic as mm-hmm. our president was on Wednesday night. Why do you think that was? Why do you think that was? What insight? 
sabotage this nation and stand on the sideline and cheer while this nation and the unemployment goes up. The higher the unemployment, the more they cheer. The more people are out of work, the more they cheer. They don't care about the American people. So okay, all those so people running around saying, well, Obama's, he's taking away our freedoms or he's a socialist. They don't know the meaning of the word socialism, because if that was the case, they would have uh, some objection to riding around on these socialist roads, going to these socialist libraries, uh, going over these bridges. You know, we have a hybrid of socialism and capitalism, and they are simply unwilling to be honest brokers of the truth and admit that this is what we are about in the United States. Well, uh, let me let me get back to the caller's question. That I, I mean, I, I agree that um, you cannot stay, you cannot spend two hours telling somebody you lie mm-hmm. over and over and over, mm-hmm. and make for good TV or make for good campaigning. The man failed in his performance in this debate, Alpha. That's the bottom line. And what we're, what we're trying to examine is why that happened. Now, all of you out there know that at some point you have had uh, a director or a supervisor or you might call them a boss or a principal if you're a teacher who you know holds disdain for your very being there. But they can't do anything about that. So this disdain has just flooded the environment, and it's hostile. And um, there's a book that I love to give to people for gifts, and it's called I Love My Work and Hate My Job. And in that book, it describes all kinds of devious behavior that incompetent supervisors and directors and whoever um undertake to undermine you and you know when you have a performance meeting or you have a meeting to talk about a uh, an issue or when the person has stabbed you in the back when the person has kept you off the team that you have to grit your teeth to keep from cussing a buster out mm. and I think that President Barack Obama had come to the border, right on the border, and in order to hold his peace and not act out on this man, because he was boiling. I think he was boiling. Mm. And I think that he knew that he had to maintain his presidential strength Stature. He had to maintain his presidential purport, and so he had to steal himself from the onslaught that not only, that this debate was just the crest. Because for what three years this man has been under assault. His very manhood has been questioned. They've said terrible things about his children, about his wife. Uh, They have demeaned 
the 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 center of the universe is the White House, hmm. and the president that sits there. They were willing to trash that because he was African American, and I think at the point that Mitt Romney stood there with his lion beady eyed. Uh, you all notice that he didn't have as much white hair. Now, see, I have, I, I stood behind Mitt Romney, and I could see at his collar all the hair underneath the edges of the hair that you see on top is white. This man's head is totally white. But Wednesday night he had fixed it up with some magic man stuff. You all, you know the stuff you all use on your mustache and your beard to make sure you, people don't think you're old <laughs> and covered up that white. But I think that the audacity that his that Mitt Romney's whiteness flooded that stage and Barack Obama could do nothing more than to steal himself from totally freaking out. Now, I don't know, Carla, that, that's my pitch at it. Well, that's a powerful rant. <laughs> it resonates I mean, me I mean you, you, you have to understand. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, under, I understand, you know, this comes from personal experience. Mm. Where I'm standing there. And saying to myself, do not do it. Do not do it. And you, and that's coming from somebody who did pick up a stack of papers and throw it on the floor and walk out. <laughs> so so well, I think was... that that is some mm-hmm. of what happened. Caller, where are you calling from? Oh, I'm in New York City. Oh, okay. I'm an old friend of the Yankees, you know, we, we've uh, come across each other. I just want to say, you know, I, I, I think both of you have some insights, I think, great. I, I think, obviously, you would both know better than me because you're, you know, closer to that inner circle than I am. I'm certainly on the fringes. But um, I think that Alpo made an, a, a point also about, you know, that, that uh, stereotype threat, not wanting to be perceived as the stereotypic angry black male. And as uh-huh. you said, you know, he's trying to, I think he did that, you know, remember when he first was running for election against Hillary, you know, uh, for the Democratic uh, uh, nod. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so too. And he was, he was doing the, uh, they said he was doing basically a metaphor through the rope dope because he was a lot of racist innuendo, and he didn't respond. All of us were saying, say something, say something, do something. Mm-hmm. But he... He, he yep. knew that he could not do that within the context of the society because it would invoke that stereotype. Yep. I think some of that was in was in effect uh, when he was against the. Yep. Uh, I mean, I was yeah. in a store. I was in a store this this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Lady, the the sales lady was on the telephone. I waited for her to get off the telephone, mm-hmm. and I simply wanted to know where I might find something which would mm-hmm. have required uh, just a response on her part. Mm-hmm. But she tells me, uh, "Oh, I was, I was, I was waiting on someone else, and I have to go find her." I said, "Oh hell, no, you don't oh, you have to answer my damn <laughs> question. Uh-huh. You can answer 
to my question, why are you looking for a customer and you got a customer standing right here? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we all get to that point. I tend to see Alpha is very sage and very uh, grown up like. I'm still living out my black power thing. <laughs> oh, I feel you. I feel you. you look a little, a little. You look somewhat like uh, this one. What? Is this? what? Uh, Angela Davis. That's your picture, right? You look a bit like yeah. Angela Davis. Was, As a matter of fact, poet. I was I arrested in Boston oh. uh-huh. at the time that they were looking for Angela Davis. Yeah. I had to look. Okay. Um, I had this huge afro. I had I had you know the high boots and uh-huh. the jeans and the boots and the black leather jacket. I was uh-huh. I had my Angela Davis thing on, and was mm-hmm. detained at a rally and an anti-war rally because they thought I was Angela Davis. Oh Lord have mercy! I know, and you I kept saying Angela Davis has nappy hair. I you know all the You know what I'm talking about, so, the, the other sister, the poet during the, the Black Power movement um, uh, on the East Coast. Sonia Sanchez. There you go. There you go. You look like her, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, yeah, I, you look like her and too. then people say I look like Patty Austin. I look like everybody. Uh-huh, I want to look like Sade. How about that, Alpha? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, there you go. As long as you can sing like her, come on. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Make some money. You figure it out. I love you both. I love Saturday. you both. Man. Okay, okay, brother Alpo. Good night, sister. Goodbye. Good night. Good night. New York City. All right. Say what? New York City. Yes, sir. I'm in New York City. I'm New in New York, York City. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go to one 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 one. You're on the air with Alpo at our common ground. Greetings to you, Janice, and greetings to Alpha. How are you? Oh my heart is with Peta, 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 Peta. It's Sarah. Janice, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sister Sarah, why has Alpha forsaken me? You just threw me under the bus. You disappeared for like. I gotta tell you, I got my nose pressed up against the picture window, and I'm looking outside for you. I mean, it's dark out there. I can hardly see, but I'm like, where you been? Hey, I've been laying low. I've been trying to stay away from all this political theater because my hair is turning white in the front. I have to keep my sanity. I'm I'm about to, like, like Janet was talking with, with Mitt Romney. He was doing the Ronald Reagan special he had on his head. And mm-hmm. we, all know what, we all know what happened to Ronald Reagan, what eventually happened to him. He ended up going senile. So he might want to leave alone whatever that stuff is that they spray on their head to try and, and let that white come in. Because... There. I tell yes, you, yes. all the stuff, um, um, you know, the thing is, Mitt Romney is a pathological liar, and if America hasn't figured that mm-hmm. out by now, um, and he has made my choice very easy. But it's, it's not so much the choice, Janice, with making stuff easy or, 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 or not, because whether or not we, we we have two candidates there that we don't agree with, because I say personally I don't agree with any of them. But as you said, you know, you're either going to vote and you have to pick one of them, or you sit out the election and you don't vote, or 
maybe you look at other third parties who might be on the ticket if there is that option in your state that you are in. But as far as Mitch Romney, we know Mitch Romney's a liar. Speaking of that, when y'all were watching the debate, did you see that he had clip notes in his pocket? Did you watch clip Wrapped up in his handkerchief? Yes, when he went into his pocket and he pulled out that note, and we all know that he that was an illegal move that he made. Now, Alpha that watched that more than I watched it. Well, they, they're saying that it was a handkerchief because he No, no, it, it had notes. It had notes. If you go, if you go and slow it down, there's a two, there's on YouTube, there is a tape on YouTube where they slowed it down and showed he took notes. It had notes on it. And he put it on the podium, and he went, went through the notes. You see, white people can do underhanded, devious things like this because we all know they cheat any damn way we look at it. They cheat anyway. Well, Sarah, Sarah, before he even stepped on the stage, he's got most of his money in Swiss Cayman Island accounts to Mm -hmm. avoid paying taxes. Taxes. I mean, so we already knew he was a cheat before he even stepped on the stage. Well, you know, let's put this baby to rest and put it on the bed and whatever it is that we got to do with it to change the pampers. These people are a bunch of liars and they're a bunch of cheats because, you know, we know the European, the whole the whole idea about them, they all like to talk about fair and balance or whatever, all this foolishness they like to throw out here. But they don't play fair. They don't play balance. It's all about getting you to obey the rules, but the rules is not for them. Because if the rules were, if they were obeying their rules, then they wouldn't have to put all these roadblocks in place to make sure that they win. They wouldn't have to do all of these things here if they if this themselves as being so superior, they know everything, they're the smartest um, out the block. They wouldn't have to do all of these things, but every step of the way, and especially when it comes to black people, because we are the most people that they throw up the road blacks for. So it must be something about us that they know that they are not so um, superior to us, that they have to put these blocks in place to make sure that you don't go past them. So I don't care what they say or what they do, they always feel somehow inferior to us, which they know they are any doggone way. You know, I call them, you know, my, the, the left, mel, the left, um, their, their melanin challenge. So they have to put up these roadblocks in in the way. So they they already know their cases, and you know they can call it all they want because I'm hearing this term being thrown out here quite frequently, especially with black people calling each other racist and all this nonsense, and we need to cut it out. We, these two things that I want black people to cut, take out of their vocabulary, calling each other racist and calling each other a minority. We need to stop this foolishness because, first of all, we are not minorities. We are not a minority. We are the majority on the doggone planet. And we have, been, um, we have let these people subliminally put into our mind that we are less in population number than they, and they outnumber us, so therefore we are a minority. We are not. This election has already proven in this the United States already alone. There are there are majority people of color in the United States. That is why they're running around here with these voter right ID laws. They're trying to change up the affirmative action. They're trying to do all of these things to keep themselves in place. That's all this is about because they know that they are dwindling. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's about keeping themselves in play, keeping themselves in 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 their hierarchical position that they have managed to. To, um, to maintain for all of these years. And we have ignorant black people that go along with the program because of whatever scrap that's falling off the table that they are getting, they're going along with this foolishness and this nonsense, and we need to we need to stop it. 
Because this election here, this is going to be the last election. That, um, I, I was reading somewhere where they said where the where white people might be someone in the majority in the United States. The next presidential election in the next four years, they're not going to be the, the majority dominant group. That is why, Janice, you're seeing all of this foolishness going on in the board where white people now have designated people in all of North Africa, regardless of your skin color, you consider to be um, white. On the census data form, you are considered to be white, regardless of where you come from on North Africa. From those countries, those um, those five countries on the top of North Africa, they push them into Europe and call them white. The same thing they're doing with the Latinos, Hispanic, where they're designating them as white. So we're seeing all of these different games that they are, that they are playing. And, and speaking about games, with the, sense, with, with, with the unemployment numbers that came out here, where they have manipulated the data. To also say, okay, that the numbers have fallen. Black people unemployment numbers have not changed in this country. Our numbers are going up. White people, yes, are getting jobs, but black people are still in the same position. And it infuriates me when I see black people are jumping around, yeah, 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 the numbers drop. Yeah, the numbers drop, but look at your brothers and sisters and your cousins and people that you know in your family who don't have a damn job, who've been unemployed for two years or more, looking for work, highly qualified, and they're looking for work. I have a niece. I have two nieces, as a matter of fact that work outside the United States. They both work as teachers in Kuwait and one in Saudi Arabia because they can't get work in the United States. Well, um, the numbers have never really ca- ever captured the no, it's, it's not. full picture of unemployment in our community. In the community, uh, uh, as a rule, Janet, in the entire United States because you have what you call, you have where you mine data. They are doing data mining because when they come up with these numbers, we don't know what data was excluded in order for them to come up with these lowball numbers. Because they could have given them a certain query to um, to pull from to say this is what you need to look at when you go and you do your data mining in order to come up with it with a number crunching. And that is why they come. It's not that they that they intentionally lie, but they're going by what they put into the system in order to come up with the numbers. That is why they get this so-called lowball number. But it is not an accurate representation. Yes, I work in data all the time. And I know based on the query that you give me or I put in there, I can get numbers, I can manipulate numbers to, to say or do whatever it is that I wanted to do or based on what the people want me to do with the numbers. But it don't mean that it's an accurate um, picture of what's actually going on. Well, sir, when we start talking about actual numbers, the actual numbers for black unemployment in this nation have been high. Yes, over 20%. And everybody else for the last 40 years. The mere fact that right now we have lost 700,000 public sector jobs because that was the ransom we paid for the hostage taking from the Republican Party. The majority of public workers, the majority of government workers are African Americans simply due to the history the government was the vehicle by which African Americans achieved and reached the middle class. Of yes. course, those numbers are going to grow, just like the numbers of unemployed women are going to grow because we've lost so many teachers because of the austerity moves of starving the beast, of really depleting the revenue till of the government. Mm-hmm. We've been government based and private sector based since the New Deal and way before the New Deal. And now for us to now simply go private, 
we yield those government jobs by which minorities have prospered. And we, are, we have allowed these people to turn around and to demonize public workers, to demonize unions. You know, all of these anti-union people forget one thing. Unions created the eight-hour workday, the paid vacations, the paid sick leave, health care, through health insurance companies for people who work. Unions created the higher wage, the minimum wage. All of these people who don't understand what right to work gives up. People in right to work states make $5,500 less than union states. The care, the money spent on child education is 2600 per child less. And they're 52.9% more apt to be killed on the job because of the lack of regulations. The real numbers are the real numbers. We can't just simply start identifying real numbers from the last four years. Black people have had double-digit unemployment for the last 30, 40 years. Exactly, Alpha. It's not only that. And speaking on the situation with the unions, yes, the unions have done a lot for the employment sector, and as you mentioned, with the right to work, because now with the downsizing and everything else that's going on, instead of having 10 people do the job, no, you have five people, you're still doing the job where the 10 people were doing, except they cut the workforce down in half or maybe less than half, and have you stressing out putting your health at risk because you're so worried about getting that pink slip or that layoff notice telling you that you no longer need it, so you're going to do whatever it is that you have to do in order to keep a job. That is a position that a lot of people find themselves in is that they are working or doing jobs that they really don't like, but because it's the only thing that's available to them and it's paying the bills, so they have to stay there and take all of the abuse. And, but the unions also have put themselves in a position of irrelevancy because the unions have also made themselves, because some of the decisions that they have made in the, in the years when the gravy train was really high, they have put themselves, in, backed themselves into such a corner now because they have done backstab a lot of the union paying on due members that they have, they have done it. Because I know I, used, I, I was a member of the Federal Employees Union, and I've seen some of the under, I've never had to use them, but I've seen some of the underhanded things that they would do. They would make um, concessions with management in, um, against, the, uh, against the employee. They, they, they already know it's a good employee, but they would, they would make behind-your-back deals. These are some of the things that's done with the union, which is why it's given the union such a nasty reputation. And you know, because you was a steward. You said you were, I heard you, you mentioned you was a steward in um, your union. But they, they have done some underhanded things, and I've seen, I've seen it work. Sarah, I was a teamster for 27 years. I was a steward for over 15 of those years. And let me tell you this. I participated in negotiations with the company, Interstate Brands Corporation. They make Wonder Bread, Butternut Bread, all over the nation. They are the biggest bread company in the country. The unions and when we negotiated with this company, I used to remember when I would go to the negotiations, I would get breakfast, I would get lunch. On my way to the table with my plate of food, I used to say, these are some smooth criminals. 
by no means, by no expectations, do I expect these people to be free of corruption. Unions have been some of the most corrupt, individually corrupt when it comes to taking in money. They are no better than the good old boys and the culture of white supremacy that they have held for the longest. But make no mistake about it, as the unions have dwindled, so has the pay of the American people. So growing is the inequity of pay from management to the people. You cannot deny that as the unions go, so does the middle class. Well, and, you know, there's another, there's another point to this, too, and it's a sore point for me, and it speaks to what you, what you have been expressing, um, Sarah, and as well as Alpha, is that this president has had to find points of compromise for what he uh, prioritized as the better good. And one of the things that he has done is he is has capitulated and compromised on the point of the the federal workforce, the federal mm-hmm. bench, yep. the federal programs. I mean, you know, we had a caller earlier who who does not understand that when you pay your taxes, those programs go in those dollars go into the federal coffers and it is distributed to certain mm-hmm. agencies by virtue of a vote and the terms and conditions are set by the Congress. There is not yep. a dollar of your tax money that can be spent in the federal government if it has not been assigned and legislated by the Congress. Now, mm-hmm. all of this discussion, uh, I heard Tommy Williams talking about it, Tommy Thompson talking about it, Tommy Williams is dead, and I've heard a number of Republicans talking about it, and Mitt Romney skirted around it in the debate on Wednesday, and that is, With these states' rights, that's why we've got to pay attention about this issue on states' rights. They're talking about turning all federal agency funding into block grants. Block grants is a dirty, nasty word, and I'll tell you why. Exactly. Yeah, we already already know who's going to go into it. It's going to go into the good old white boy pants, and it's not going to trickle that one get into our hands. Block grants go to... Elected officials, the governor and the mayors, control those dollars. And these people are talking about the governors and the the mayors controlling all federal funding. We already know if the mayor and the governor have the funding based on who is the Chamber of Commerce for each of those states, they exert That's the right. pressure on them and right. tell them where exactly that money is going to go. That's right. I mean, if you even even if you look at the block grants that are going into cities right now, and all of you need to know how much block grant money is coming into your cities, because it's a it is nothing but a tre a political treasure trove. 
mm-hmm. for it for for politicians at the local level because they can assign if if Boston gets seventeen million dollars in housing funds and block grants, Thomas Menino decides who will get what programs will get that money. No, it's always going to go to the all-white affluent communities. They're going to get first dibs at everything, and whatever is left, you know. That's why, you know, like Jennifer, like I was just driving through um, where where we stay at here. I went up the road maybe about a few miles up into the so-called ethnic communities. The roads are terrible, potholes. They they ripped up the road. They they must have tore up the um. The thing off the road, you know what, the tar, whatever they put down the road, where the road is all rough, they scraped all of it off the road over a month ago. They have not put back retar the road yet. But if, but if I went up here into the all-white community up here where the million-dollar homes or whatever was, they had a broken water main on the road there within one day. The city works was out there. They fixed the water yep. main. They patched it up, and they laid the tar back on the road yep. within one day. They had the whole road closed off. Yep. Hey, Sarah, we got some other callers, but we're glad to see you back in the fold. Yes, I'm you. Because, you know, I was emailing and and calling you like crazy to find out if you were okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I heard you on another, uh, one of my favorite talk shows with GW on the Hill. Yes, Um, And I said, there she is. And then you you popped up on Solify on TruthWorks. I said, she's back. We're glad Sarah. to have you back. Sarah. Thanks, ma'am. Sarah. Yes, sir. Uh, do you know that I've moved to Friday? Yes, I've, I've seen. I've, I've subscribed to the podcast, and I see that you're on Friday now. So I guess your Saturdays are open. So I'm going to call and bug you, but I'm giving this election. I'm waiting until after the election because my hair is turning too white, and I need to keep my black hand. I don't want to go to the Grecian formula <laughs> yet. Well, that's what it's called, Grecian formula. I got my hands yes. turning white too. I mean, let's face it. I'm kind of I'll, I'll Mitt Romney and ask him what he's using. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I told you about a Reagan special. The same thing Ronald Reagan was using is what he using. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Sarah. Oh, you welcome. You take care you. of yourself. Yes, you ma'am. take care of those potholes down there. Call somebody. Yes, <laughs> okay. You know, Alpha is interesting because up here in, in in Boston, they're tearing up perfectly good roads so they can give people some contracts. 702, you're on the air with Alpha and at our common ground. Well, this is Pianchi calling back, but I was going to tell you. Oh, I'm sorry, Pianchi. <laughs> well, you cut me out of the chat room. But let me tell you something. Federal black federal government does not have anything to do with block grant monies once they hit the state coffer. Once they hit the state Didn't center. I just say that? Are you listening? And that's I just dependent said upon that. that's dependent and you know another thing, uh black grant money is not allowed to be used to pot. Why are you making 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 people all agitated in my chat room? Let's deal with that first. Well, I mean, I learned a lot of things from them. Saladin knows quite a bit. He's very intelligent. Yeah, he person. is. He's right on it. Yes, and he has O'Henry. Oh, I'm is sorry. I, that was a, that was a mistake. I thought you were, you know, I really thought you were a, 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 a troll. Because, you know, we've been having big problems with trolls. Coming but, in and uh, saying all kinds of silly things. Obama, and, let me tell you something. We had a Mississippi River bridge here. 
Uh-huh. And uh, the bridge is federally and state funded, and it spans from Missouri to Illinois, East St. Louis, which is 99% black. St. Louis is 50% black. When you look at the workforce, and we have black workers on the East St. Louis side that's trained and drug tested that can't get hired. They're bringing in whites from outside who is commuting into the area and taking the job. And the uh, state highway, the state uh, transportation department of Illinois came down and had a meeting because we protested and threatened to shut the highway down, interstate highway down. And they said, basically, this is coming from the federal government, Obama's administration, that the, the minority participation rate, federal rate, is set at 14.8%. Well, you got a community that's 99% black. Now, this percentage was set back in the 70s when the area was majority white. They were trying to keep blacks out. So why come Obama just didn't just change that to where it reflects the uh, population in the community? And another thing too, you know, he done away with the affirmative action requirement as it as it uh, as it applies to defense contracts, minority uh, and black companies having access to uh, defense contracts, and also NASA. Where did you get that from, Pianki? Just do the research, uh, Obama. No, do away no. with affirmative action. No, I don't have to contracts. do the research. You well, I can get back in the who? chat room. <laughs> if you come back in the cat chat room, I won't kick you out. But you, you, you know, you got to keep it real. This well, I ain't real. I don't, ground. This I, ain't, I don't say anything. This I don't say anything. I can't um, done the research on. But you know, hey, I don't say anything that I can't do. The, haven't done the research on. But here's the point: we lived under Reagan. I know you was around during Reagan, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and we survived. <laughs> the problem is, is that we do the things. I mean, no one cannot say it's not deplorable that blacks vote lockstep with Democrats without even asking any demand. Why is it deplorable? What is it, what is the Republican Party offering you as a black man? What is the Republican well, let me tell you, in Mississippi, where blacks make up 37% of the population and they can't elect a Democrat, I think they need to bargain their votes toward Republicans and why? see what they can get out of it. They're not why getting anything they, out of why Democrats. Why would they lean toward Republicans when Republicans are trying to kill them, their vote? Republicans are trying to basically roll the clock back. Republicans are not trying to kill their vote. Come on now. They got the right to vote. All the suppression laws that have spread across this nation aren't to stop blacks and minorities from voting. The Supreme Court in 2006 said that a photo ID ID is legal in order for you to vote. The only reason why they threw it out of Pennsylvania. That was one case in Indiana. You see... This is, that this was is a Supreme about Court that. ruling, sir. That was president. Court ruling you just had a federal. You just Indiana. had a federal. You had a federal appeals court rule here in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that Wait, man, you uh, the law that they want to be that they want. Well, you go ahead and finish talking. Let me know when I can. It's your show. I'm just trying to. Didn't you just say you're in Mississippi? No, I'm in Missouri, and as I was telling him that. The, the recent Supreme Court rule, not no, the state Supreme Court that threw out the requirements for that photo ID for this election said it's okay for it to be used next election because they figured that people won't have time to comply before well, the, the November you. You just, 7th election. You just election. basically made my point. Here you have 2000, 2004, 
2008, we all used the same rules when it came to voting. What the Republican parties of these states have done, they have simply said that now every you've elected a black man, now everybody else has to show from now on everybody's got to reprove that they are Americans when voter fraud is well, there was no there was no black there was no black president in 2006 and I have voted there was. With I, a, said, now that I we have, have voted I have voted with an expired driver's license so don't say it can't happen and I have seen dead people vote so how do you uh, see dead uh, people vote Hey, hey uh, Pianca, we don't have very much time, and we're gonna let I know you, you go. Know, but uh, I'll this talk is to, this I'll is something. This to him next time. This is a, this is something that I want you to do for me. Why are you doing your research? Pass by a book by Haki Matabuti, Black Men Obsolete, Single, Dangerous: The African American Family in Transition. And well, you know, we complicate that when we have 18 million abortions between 1973 and 2005. Well, I wonder how many abortions you have an abortion? Do you have an abortion? No, but the people that the you people against that, abortions. The people who's uh, who who wish they had more numbers, who only made a difference in six states in 2008, sure could use the uh, what would have came out of those 18 million, million children if they had been allowed to have been born. But that's a whole different story. Yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. We got to go. Pianchi, you're you're invited back into my chat room next Saturday night, um, and we'll continue the conversation. You know, Janice. Alpha, I don't know. Well, you know. org. I, 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 I don't know. Well, read, read the book when affirmative action was white. I mean, you can go. Yeah. You can go down the line. There's just he's talking about his research. Yeah. Well, his research yeah. is, has to be that of a narrow mind. Well, Why we want to, you know, after a certain time, when people dig their heels in, there's not very much you can you can and do for them. But I do want to remind people that on Wednesday. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear a very politically charged affirmative action case, um, and that this has to do with the University of Texas at Austin not allowing or automatically accepting the top 10% of students from every high school and consider race in its admissions policy. And... My projection is that it will be the death of affirmative action as we know it. Um, not that it hasn't died already. Alpha, thank you so much for uh, dropping in and spending some time with me. We um, don't get much chance to to knock these kind of things out, but... I do want to remind people that they should uh, check us out at ourcommonground-talk.ning.com to catch up with us on programming schedule and truthworks.ning.com where you can find Alpha or you can find all of us on Facebook, so on 
join Dr. Matthew V. Johnson on Wednesday night, Soul of Fire, Spirit Matters Talk Radio at 10 p.m. And the Alpha Show at 10 p.m. on Friday at TruthWorks Network. And we're going to be bringing in a new program, Black Women in the Prism, a collaboration on TruthWorks Network with the Black Women's Blueprint, um, uh, an organization of human rights advocacy out of New York City. Six. We're going to be doing a four-week series and... They are going to be moving in permanently at TruthWorks Network. So we hope that you will join us in trying to make radio talk matter. Thank you all for being with us. Um, We have um, Michelle Odom, who is the producer of Soul uh, Soul of Fire on Wednesday nights at uh, TruthWorks Network with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. Oh, Henry, we're so glad to see you. Um, We thank you for all of your calls. Uh, Sarah, 203, uh, Pianchi, uh, yeah, Dim is in, and YJ is in the chat room tonight, and I know House Music Lover uh, joined us on time tonight. And Miss India Declare, don't forget to join India, the India Declare, the I Declare show here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Janice Graham, and we're going to let Alpha have a few minutes to say goodbye, and we're going to be out of here. Well, Janice, um, I've all, I've, every week I forget to mention uh, the website that you very took time to set up for me, the Alpha show at WordPress. And um, and I simply blog there, or I think I blog there. <laughs> but I speak on I speak on some of the stories and some of the topics that uh, that have come that have made that come about. And uh, it's uh, the Alpha Show. It's on WordPress, and I put a link in the chat room to um, to the particular location. Yeah, we're 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 trying to uh, we're trying to build a radio. Uh, empire here <laughs> And we hope you join us And let your friends know That we are here Each Saturday night And the Alpha Show And Soul of Fire And Black Black Women in the Prism uh, Power View Will be coming back in November And um, The week coming up The week before um, The election we will be on the air each night talking about the issues that have come up. Um, Nick, so we we thank you so very much for being with us. We tried to make it light tonight. Alpha, thanks again, and thanks to you all. Rise up, black man. I said rise up, black man. Rise like the rush of a million men marching up mountains to obtain their mental manumission. Let African pride be your ammunition and let's engage in sedition if we must. Because it's up to us to uplift our nation from the dust of dreadful damnation. Rise up, black man. I said rise up, black man. Rise up like a million men marching.
Thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. Please join us on Friday, October 28th, Voter Suppression with Judith Brown Dianis, the new black tax poll, a special at Our Common Ground. And next Saturday, the black mega church. I'll be listening for you. Oh, <laughs> 